Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of 16 Minutes. I'm Sonal, your host, and this is our show where we cover the headlines, tease apart what's hype, what's real from our vantage point in tech, and take a pulse check on where we are on the arc of innovation for specific trends. This week, we have two separate segments, both available in this show feed, and both incidentally about gaming, but coming at it from two very different angles. One is on Snap's recent partner summit and the implications for mobile, social, and more. But this episode is about the news of the FDA approving the very first video game that can be legally marketed and prescribed as a medicine. It's called Endeavor RX, and it's based on technology licensed from a neuroscientist lab at the University of California, San Francisco, and is for 8 to 12-year-olds with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, or ADHD. And the broader innovation category we're talking about is digital therapeutics. It's a term that was coined a number of years ago by Sean Duffy, the co-founder and CEO of Amada, which itself was the first digital therapeutic to get approved for Medicare reimbursement four years ago. But this is the first video game that was approved, and it's by Achille, and it was approved after seven years of clinical trials with over 600 children. Note, some of those studies were funded by the company behind the game, and we actually go deep into the data aspects of all this and cover the research articles in our sister show, Journal Club, which you can find next week. In this episode, we covered the hot debate of what is and isn't a digital therapeutic, where value-based pricing comes in, and much more. So that's a quick summary. Now let me introduce our experts. On the A6 and Z side, we have general partner Vijay Pandey and A6 and Z bio partner Justin Larkin, who's a former physician, entrepreneur, and most recently worked at Verily. And then our external guest is Nikhil Krishnan, who covered digital health as an analyst at CB Insights, managed partnerships for a clinical trials company, and now has a newsletter called Out of Pocket, which you can find at outofpocket.substack.com. He's the first voice you'll hear, followed by Vijay than Justin. So I'd love to hear from each of you. Why does this news matter from your vantage point? I'd like to start by just dedicating this to my mom who told me that video games would ruin my attention span over the years <laughs> and just show her that the opposite is also possible. No, I think one really cool thing about this is that Achilles specifically is a therapeutic through and through. It's not even really trying to incentivize a behavior change to induce the therapeutic effect. The goal of the video game is to actually induce a therapeutic effect directly, which brings a lot of the promises of true scalability, where you don't really need someone to kind of intervene in the middle. It's really interesting because often when we think about medicine, we think about like a drug or surgery or something like that to fix something after it's broken. And so many problems these days that we have to deal with are essentially behavioral in nature and have behavioral fixes. And so actually, when you think about it, something like a game makes sense. I mean, we've got gamification all around us. I mean, what could gamify better than a game? And so I think now the only question is how can we design and engineer these games to be better? And in a sense, this is where tech and bio sort of overlap using the same concepts, but maybe different words. Like A-B testing in the game is kind of like an RCT. A randomized controlled trial, right? Yeah, I love that idea of marrying a digital approach and something as engaging with the video game to really getting at the underlying physiologic mechanism of cause, which oftentimes we don't necessarily see with digital therapeutics. They're really focused on what are the underlying neural pathways that drive a lot of the symptoms with ADHD, and then finding a way through our game to stimulate the right sensory and the right motor components of that to ultimately have a therapeutic impact. 
The other area that I think is intriguing is that the data is real, but it's still early to necessarily declare victory. That's because in order for this product to continue to be efficacious and not just efficacious for four weeks or eight weeks, which is what the study looked at, it requires engagement over time. By definition, digital therapeutics require more than just popping a pill and taking that once a day. They require attention within the session. They require attention over time to maintain that impact over time, which is, I think, really the open question at this point. Can you guys each actually define, you kind of alluded to in each of your summaries, what is a digital therapeutic? This is the evergreen question. We've talked about it as software, as a drug. There's many variations on it, but I want to make sure it's not just marketing and a term we're making up. What is the it? So I'd love to hear from each of you on how you'd actually define it. You're going to start a civil war in this industry. Um, <laughs> Nikhil, start a civil yeah. war? <laughs> yeah, sorry, continue it. Yeah, I, I think the historical story is intriguing. Sean, seven, eight years ago, was really one of the first people to start to use this term. And from what I understand, the purpose is really to draw a line in the sand. There were tons of digital health products coming out, wellness this, wearable that. And it was really hard to see what was something that actually had impact and wasn't. And so for me, it's less about like, is a video game a digital therapeutic? Is it wearable a digital therapeutic? Therapeutic, but really going back to, is this something that has a measurable, demonstrable outcome on a specific clinical indication? And is that outcome backed by rigorous evidence in the form of trials, but also in the economic impact and whether this drives value-based care or not? I will say it's only a digital therapeutic if it actually has impact on some specific endpoint and biomarker that is typically treated with a therapeutic. And it does so by itself. That's my personal opinion. I think this is where maybe a lot of people will differ. But in order to really benefit from the scalability and accessibility, it has to be its own standalone thing. If it's like a combination therapy or in conjunction with an existing drug or anything like that, it's just a kind of nice to have or like it's a incremental additive, but it doesn't take advantage of what we think of as digital therapeutics. This really is a spectrum and sliding scale, and that's why it's really difficult to pinpoint it. You know, it's funny because we often in the clinical world separate a supplement from a therapeutic. And when we say digital therapeutic, I think we mean not a digital supplement, not like a vitamin that maybe helps, but something where you can run a trial and demonstrate efficacy above a placebo and even above a typical therapeutic, a typical small molecule drug. I think that was the aha moment for me when the DPP, the Diabetes Prevention Program, could exceed the efficacy of metformin. Now we're talking about a therapeutic that happens to be digital. With that said, though, we're seeing this blurring between biopharma and healthcare delivery. We're talking about from the tech end, but in another 16 minutes, we could be talking about CAR-T. And CAR-T is taking cells out of your body, doing some surgery on it at the molecular scale, putting it back into your body. Is CAR-T a drug? Is CAR-T a therapy? Like, we can call it different things, but in the end, it's this blurring... And that blurring is actually getting really interesting and has major advantages over these being very separate silos. So what I'm basically hearing from you guys is the category and definition of a drug itself is changing. That whole spectrum is broad. Then there's the importance of actually being able to measure outcomes in a clinical way. And then finally, and this kind of goes to the controversial point, this is the question of can it do the same thing by itself? Because what's really interesting in this case is that the paper... The one that the company cites the most, the doctors themselves put in that they still do not believe it is meant to be a replacement for other therapies. And that is the question I have is, 
does the definition of a digital therapeutic then that it does have to be by itself as the same way a drug does, as Nikhil is arguing? Or is that even like a false straw man because drugs themselves don't do things by themselves? Yeah, that's a great question. And I agree with the general premise that the standalone digital therapeutic should be able to show that impact standalone. But there are a lot of combo drugs, for example, in the pharmaceutical industry that have impact because they're given in combination. And so I don't limit it to say that the digital therapeutic has to be standalone. I could couple it with the drug and the two together have impact beyond what they would have individually. But you really have to have the evidence that there is an outsized impact through the combination than you would have with either of those individually. And so I think there could be a world where there are products that are marketed together My issue is that if you sell something as a combo therapy with an existing drug or treatment and we don't have a great way of validating if it's worth the price increase, then we're kind of losing the whole benefit of this whole digital therapeutics thing. We need to really think about what is the most cost-effective therapy for the person that I'm giving it to. There's a lot of, I think, really interesting new ways to think about therapeutics if we're thinking from a value-based perspective because now digital therapeutics become a very real competitor to existing drugs, or if in some cases, maybe it's better in combination with some therapy, then we really have to rethink reimbursement for both of them. The reality is, at least for the short term, people are going to look at this with a lens very similar to the way we think about drugs. So you think about what are your options for your drug? You might have your best-in-class drug, and it has the top efficacy and it garners a premium price And you have to decide whether you should give that. You may have a cheaper but still on-patent drug, or you may have a generic. When people think about pricing and think about giving out drugs, you'll think about this whole spectrum. And when you're creating a digital therapeutic, the question is, where will you land? Because it has a huge impact on what you can get reimbursed for and, frankly, what the value is. Are we creating digital generics? Are we creating digital first-in-class? When I say first-in-class for digital therapeutic, I mean in class of anything compared to small molecule or whatever. And if we can achieve that, presumably then we should be able to get pricing comparable to the first-in-class small molecules. And I think that's the holy grail that people are searching for. Yeah, so it's less about the definition and more about the job to be done. And I love jobs to be done as an innovation framework in general, but you're all basically arguing that it's really about the job to be done and at what price is that valued at by the system, by the patient, et cetera. I do think it's worth teasing apart cost and access for a moment though, because the other big thing about digital is there is a certain access you have online and in digital spheres that you may not get. And there were all these amazing works by these amazing labs like the UCSF lab at San Francisco that this is coming out of. But people in like a rural town would have no access to that best-in-class therapy. Well, I think your point there is interesting is that maybe it's a missed opportunity in branding because by calling this a therapeutic, you're implying drug and that's a whole nother era. If you called it digital care delivery, Maybe we should reframe it as now everyone can have the best doctor. And that's maybe more exciting because that's actually the thing that is really missing in healthcare today. And a lot of these digital therapeutics are targeting areas that are actually pretty low priority in the pharma pipeline, like these low to moderate risk patients for ADHD, for example, especially in peds, the pipeline is not super robust there. And a lot of physicians are looking for drugs with better side effect profiles than are currently on the market. So I think these are really awesome areas that digital therapeutics can complement. We didn't actually clarify where digital therapeutics may be more or less effective. We've talked a lot on the podcast about it being better for like things that have underlying behavioral components. We interviewed Voss at Novartis. You know, he thinks the holy grail is obesity. We have our own investments in diabetes. What are the areas where you think it may be more or less effective and why? 
I think the neurologically driven condition sets are the lowest hanging fruit, both on the mental health side, but also on some of the CNS movement disorders like Parkinson's, multiple sclerosis, other type of neurodegenerative diseases as well. We're seeing some interesting traction there and other things where you can really track patients' engagement with them and how those things change over time. Where digital therapies won't work or won't work better, and sometimes not at all, is where we have a very clear biology and a single molecule drug can just knock something out. Like there won't be a digital therapeutic antibiotic likely. Antibiotics are great for that. On the other hand, if you look at Alzheimer's disease, it's unclear whether a single molecule will ever do anything against something that's this tangled mess of misfolded proteins or whatever is causing Alzheimer's disease. And behavioral therapy is already showing a real value there. And so the irony is that a lot of the biopharma industry is gearing up for a CNS and Alzheimer's alone the company that cures Alzheimer's could be a trillion-dollar healthcare company. And my guess is that a large component, if not maybe the whole component, could be a behavioral therapy. It could be a game like what we're seeing. Well, then I have a question for you guys because they do want to probe on how is it not just telemedicine and how is it not just about adherence and compliance? So telemedicine and medication adherence plays in that bucket broadly have really specific jobs to be done to use the framework. And there are certainly times and places to deploy those. But what's inherently different about those is they aren't necessarily targeted to a specific clinical indication or the underlying mechanism of action. In the case of this product, we believe that they're actually targeting the underlying neural mechanisms. And so when we think about digital therapeutics and how they compare to telemedicine more broadly, ideally it's getting at the root cause from a preventative perspective or a treatment perspective or a management perspective where you know a telemedicine visit might just be about looking at the overall care plan or might be checking in with a patient. This is where maybe I probably slightly disagree. You know, the thing that you're describing, which is like telemedicine for a specific indication, I think funny enough, looks pretty similar to actually one of the A16Z posts that came out around the different modalities of primary care, right? Really what it is for most indications and therapeutic areas and diseases, there are like a small handful of biomarkers that you're really taking a look at. And obviously you're approaching it from a lot of different angles to manage those things. The reason why I think a digital therapeutic has to be independent of that is because it's targeting the mechanism of action by itself without intervention. And then you can layer on top services, the telemedicine and all that kind of stuff to maybe do follow-ups, et cetera. But in my head, those are two very separate things. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like maybe a call center telling someone to take their diabetes medication is a digital therapeutic, right? Like you're really just monitoring A1C levels at that point. So that's why, like, I think the definitions don't really matter as much as like, hey, this is the thing that we're trying to do right now. The therapeutic part to me is really just about, like you said, kind of finding a specific biomarker and testing it in a clinical trial. So maybe that fits in into like a combination of a bunch of other things, but the therapeutic itself has to be something that does it directly. The other part about the therapeutic that I think is important is therapeutics are relatively standardized in how they're delivered in terms of, look, the pill itself is the same if you give it from person to person. Once you start adding things like services and telemedicine, et cetera, there's now a highly variable component in the therapeutic itself. Like what if the person just delivering the care is not as good, for example, right? As soon as you lack that standardization across the people who are taking it, then you're introducing something like very different in the process. And that's the other reason why I think it's difficult to call those therapeutics. Although this is exactly the adherence problem, right? So like even a pill is care delivery given by the patient to the patient. And that care delivery sometimes can be extremely inconsistent. And so ironically, I think we have similar issues, even on the pure pill, small molecule therapeutic side as well. 
I think the best approach is somewhere down the middle where I agree with Nikhil that there has to be a standardized approach that is the core therapeutic. But to Vijay's point, I think so often getting people to adhere is dependent on having kind of that human touch to find out what are the problems that are keeping them from engaging with it. But I agree that therapeutic is really the core. And then a lot of these services on the outside are enabling people to get the most of that therapeutic. And that's something that doesn't really exist with standard pills unless you layer on an expensive and a large services component through medication adherence program. This is exactly why the value-based pricing part is so key to this is because you're really selling a package and that package might look different from person to person. And for some people, maybe the medication adherence is not a huge issue. So you don't need to add the components on top. You can actually have very different tiered targeted approaches to pricing for different populations. And I'm excited to see what that looks like. Well, related to this is the conversation around regulation. So it's very notable that this was initially cleared under the FDA's de novo program for new low or moderate risk devices. How do you think about the regulatory side of this and the significance bringing it back to the news of this being the first video game? I think it's going to vary dramatically. You look at the number of digital therapeutics that have actually fallen under the categories and definitions we've discussed today, and some of them aren't FDA regulated, but they've gone through the process of making sure that they are rigorous in their data, rigorous in their outcomes, and that they've gone through the necessary reviews to show that they are compliant with FDA. And on the flip side, there will be other digital therapeutics as you start to think about like titrating insulin and having a closed loop around that that are much more high risk and will require a more in-depth regulatory process. Achilles has, has blazed a great path through this de novo process for others to use this as precedent in future regulatory processes so they can go through 510k process, which is more expedited. One of the, I think the most exciting pieces of what digital therapeutics bring is that they are, by definition, able to collect real-time evidence that not only show, yes, this can perform in a clinical trial in a highly controlled environment, but this is continuing to have impact in the real world. I feel like this is really opening the door to like a new era of pragmatic trials where you can really deploy the product into the population and kind of see how it performs. Because it's so low risk, um, you can kind of assess how it's doing actually with end users as opposed to in very sterile environment that clinical trials are typically run in. And what's interesting about that is Drugs can't do that on their own, where applications can actually track not just are people engaging with it, are people using it, but also can track things like the actual outcome metrics over time. And so what I would hope from folks developing these digital therapeutics is that they would build into the products the ability to collect that data and the active kind of continued rigor around assessing engagement and also the impact of those products over time. Vijay and I did a podcast on the role of the FDA and the role of real-world evidence and randomized controlled trials, and people can listen to that episode to get the deep dive on that. So bottom line it for me, how should we think about this news and in the broader arc of digital therapeutics and medicine in general? What's your bottom line or takeaway? So I think the bottom line for me here is that this trial broadens the definition of what is a digital therapeutic to a completely new category, but at the same time reinforces the rigor that we need to take as we develop the digital therapeutics and get them released and make sure that the therapeutics have impact over time. I'm very curious to see how the blending of diagnostic and therapeutic kind of changes over time, because you can see a world in which a lot of these games are kind of released into the real world and sort of look more like diagnostic products that maybe transition people into therapeutic ones over time. And that's sort of a new paradigm that's kind of unexplored. And, and I, I think that's one of the cool things about allowing these kind of low-risk products into the market. I think it's going to really open the dams for future digital therapeutics.
this is really reflecting digital therapeutics becoming mainstream. I think in 10 years from now, there'll be many examples like this. They'll be on par with other different modalities. You've always said we're going to almost think it's barbaric that we even took drugs at one point. I think it's definitely looking that way now. The same way my mom thought it was barbaric to play video games all the time. So it all comes full circle. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for joining this episode. Thank you. Thank you.